Never mind. Right, well, we're going to continue in our series this morning um, from Jen Wilkins' book, None Like Him. We've been going through uh, our different, uh, the different chapter titles. Uh, so we've gone through them all, and we're at our final one, which is God is Sovereign. God is Sovereign. So it's been displaying to us all the way through that actually it's really good for us that God is different from us. So I think sometimes we want God to be like us, but the reality is that it's very good for us that God is different from us. So we're going to look at sovereignty this week, but we're also going to be looking at sovereignty next week. It's such a big thing to deal with. So Matt's going to come and preach on sovereignty next week, and I'm going to be preaching on sovereignty today, and I'm going to be focusing on uh, God's sovereign love. So not only is God sovereign, but he is love. So if God was only sovereign, it would be tyranny. But if God was only love, it would be chaos. But because God is both sovereign and love, it is such good news for us. So we're going to look at that. Um, Sovereignty is a word that maybe not everyone's familiar with, uh, but it basically means to rule and to reign. In this country, sovereignty is probably used most to talk about the queen. And uh, seeing as it's Mother's Day, I think I I have an excuse to uh, talk about my mum, right? So this week, on Monday, um, I had the amazing privilege, real proud son moment, uh, to go with my mum to pick up one of, uh, to pick up an honor from the Queen. Uh, so she uh, received her MBE this week for all her contribution to nursing, and uh, it was an incredible moment, it really was. Um, so we went into the palace, we had our, our passports, and we had our uh, little special tickets, and they kind of checked us over, looked at me, uh, you know, Looked a little bit dodgy with my kilt on, so looked at me quite closely. And then we went in, and we were kind of on the other side from the tourists, and that felt really bizarre. So I'm usually, like, peering in, but you're on the other side, you think, oh, this is a bit odd. Kind of striding forward. I'm kind of imagining they're going to realize that I'm just a pretender, and some policeman's going to, like, take me out, and, you know, headlines the next day, Scottish terrorists taken down at Palace. Um, But we got in. We uh, were greeted by members of the Sovereign's Bodyguard of the Yeoman Guard Extraordinary, which are beef eaters to you and I. And then as we went into the entrance lobby, on either side there was uh, these grand, huge, big pillars and paintings, and uh, we had these guards that had gold breastplates on and uh, armor and everything, just looking at you, just dead still. And so you're sort of just wandering by, like, what is going on? This is crazy. And you turn left, they direct you up to the left, they tell you exactly what to do, okay? There is no, like, messing about. They tell you exactly where you're going, so, okay, I'll go that way. So you shuffle up the stairs, and then uh, down this great big hall, plenty of room for all the corgis, and then you get to, get to the end of this great big hall, and you get into this uh, room, which is a bit like a, an amphitheater uh, type thing, And at the end of the room, there are two thrones. And then above the throne, there's this gold stitching uh, of uh, the emblem of, uh, that's not the right word. It'll come to me. The emblem of the uh, queen's, um, what's that called? What is that word? Crest, coat of arms, that's it. And it was all gold threaded, huge thing. Huge paintings either side and these huge chandeliers above you. Now, no matter what you think about the queen, no matter what you think about monarchy or the royals, 
it was an impressive sight. It really was. But as the, uh, the, the anthem played, in walked Prince William with his Gurkha guards next to him. But the queen didn't follow because the queen couldn't be there that day. So Prince William was giving out the awards, which was wonderful. But it got me thinking. It made me realize, we say that the queen is sovereign, and yes, she has this impressive palace, but the reality is she is not really sovereign. It's all symbolic. There's no tr- there's, she's not really ruling and reigning over her nation, is she? Not really. Not in the same way that God is ruling and reigning. So in our series, we've looked through that God is infinite. He has no limits. He's incomprehensible. He is unable to be fully understood. He is self-existent. He does not need anyone else. He's perfectly content as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's self-efficient. He doesn't need our help. He's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He's immutable. He never changes. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at all times. Not like the queen. He's omniscient who knows he knows everything. And he's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And so when we say that God is sovereign, we are saying that God is sovereign in light of all of that. This is not just symbolic. This is real. He is actively reigning in everything. So how do you view God? Do you view God as just a symbolic king on the throne? Or is he actually reigning in your life? Is he actually ruling and reigning in everything? So today we're going to focus on the good news that God is not only sovereign, but he is also love. And we'll look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Um, Do we have page number 1173? It's the page number. So uh, guys are just going to hand out some Bibles. So turn to page 1173. Paul is writing this letter to believers in Ephesus, and it's written while he is in chains. Okay, so that is the context of this. Paul is experiencing suffering, difficulty, yet he still writes these words. He still puts his trust in the sovereignty of God. So we're going to look at three things that Paul wants us to know. One is this, that sovereign love has a plan. The second is this, sovereign love gives us purpose. And the third is sovereign love is permanent. Sovereign love has a plan, sovereign love gives us purpose, and sovereign love is permanent. All right, let me pray, and then we'll turn to Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Oh, Father God, thank you so much that you are a God who is truly sovereign, that you are sovereign because of all these things we've learned over these past weeks, that, that Lord, you are someone who is all-powerful and, and there is no one that compares to you. You're everywhere at all times. Lord, there's no one, no one like you. We don't have to worry that you're gonna change. You're a mutable God. I thank you for all of your characteristics, that they are true always, every day for us. And so, Lord, I thank you that you uh, come to speak to us as a God who is here, You don't speak to us from a distance. You speak to us into our hearts because you're everywhere. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would change our hearts. You would write truth on our hearts again this morning. 
I pray, God, that we would leave this place feeling more secure in who we are because of your sovereign love. Come and meet with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There's quite a lot to deal with in there, isn't there? God had a plan for us in mind before the existence of the universe. But the question we often want to ask is why? Why us? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? Now, some parents um, can be a little pushy, can't they? I used to play a lot of sport when I was young, and uh, you got to know who the pushy parents were by their outbursts on the touchline. And uh, so we had this, this guy in our team, brilliant player, really good guy, um, and when his dad was there, unfortunately, he just kind of went into his shell. He, he just, he felt scared, I think, to really play the way that he knew he could, because he was so worried about letting down his dad, so embarrassed sometimes about uh, the way in which his, his dad would just kind of go off on one about him and be really negative about him on the pitch. And it was, it was really sad because when he wasn't there, when his dad wasn't there, he played really well. There was a kind of freedom about him when his dad wasn't there, when he didn't have that weight of this pushy parent on top of him. The pushy parent doesn't just discipline their kids to do their best. They get disappointed and moody with their kids when they don't meet their expectations, don't they? And actually, they don't tend to reward their kids, give their kids love, unless their kids have done something to merit it in their eyes. They make their kids into these little trophy kids. You know the parents. They they turn them uh, into uh, the glory of their letters at Christmas. You know those letters that go out, those newsletters? or they turn them into Facebook posts, or they, they turn them into what they can boast about at the bar. But actually, 
the burden so often weighs very heavily on the kids. What we need to see from this passage is that God is not like that at all. God is not a pushy parent. We do not have to prove ourselves to God like he is constantly on the touchline demanding better from us all the time. Paul says that before we even existed, before we did one thing, he already loved us. He chose us and he promised us before the world even began. We are loved not because we are impressive. We are loved because God loves us. We weren't loved because we were lovable. We were loved because God is love. We were loved because he is love and he has loved us since before the beginning of time and his love had a plan. My mom and the rest of those recipients on Monday who received these rewards for all sorts of different and impressive things that they did were not honored until they had done these things. That's the way it works. You, you work and then you get a reward for it. So the sovereign of this country did not know their name, did not recognize them until it had been proved to her, laid out before her, and then she says, okay, I'll recognize them. But with God, he recognizes us and he honors us before we've done one little thing. It's quite a different type of sovereignty. God's sovereignty is based on his love, which is unmerited, not on what we have done. On these verses, theologian Charles Hodge said this. He said, from eternity, the whole scheme of redemption, with all its details and all its results, lay matured in the divine mind. God had a plan for us that was matured in his mind before anything was anything, before anything had been created. And at the heart of that plan was Jesus. Our own choices have left us unwell. It's like a sickness. Sin is like this sickness that makes us really ill. I don't know if you have ever done this, probably all of us have, where you wake up one morning and you feel really just lousy. You feel like, oh, I just don't want to get on with the day. I feel horrendous. I've got some sort of illness. I don't know what it is, but I just, oh. But perhaps, perhaps if I just go out and, and just start my work, just start doing stuff, then maybe I'll start to feel better. Maybe throughout the day I'll, I'll feel better because I've just gone out and I've, and I've worked and, and that's the way it goes. And sometimes that works, but often it doesn't. Sometimes you go out and you start working hard and doing things and you actually realize it's making you worse. Well, sin is a bit like that. The sickness of sin that we have is like that. Because we've, we've sinned and we sometimes think, well, if I've sinned and I've let people down, I've let myself down and I've let God down, maybe what I need to do then is to just get on with it and be good. But that's not how it works. We just get worse. We just get worse and worse because our inclination, our, our, what we end up doing is just sinning all the more. We make it worse. Instead, we need to look to the great physician. Instead, we need to look to the good doctor. Instead, we need to 
see our hearts restored from this heart sickness in Jesus. We need Jesus. We need him, and we've needed him to come and pay the price required for our treatment and bring us healing. When Matt was in Nepal, uh, you might remember him telling you a couple of weeks ago about uh, this pastor who uh, had his wife took uh, ill, and it began with a cough, and then just got a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And at first, it probably didn't feel like it was much, maybe just a cold, maybe something, nothing to worry about. But it turned out to be pneumonia, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And he needed some antibiotics. It would cost him $200 to get antibiotics to save her life. But he could not get it. He searched everywhere. He asked everyone he knew. He could not get this $200. And so his wife died. It's brutal. Like that woman's pneumonia, sin is slowly killing people. And the payment that we will, will save us from death needed to be paid. And that's why Paul says in his letter to the Romans, sin leads to death. And it's why Jesus steps up and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to save the righteous, but sinners. In other words, all of us are sick. And we need Jesus to come and heal us. And he is the only one who can pay the price. God's love for us was so unstoppable that, it, that he made this incredible plan for him, Jesus, who is God, to pay the price for us so that we can be forgiven of our sin and healed of its sickness. That's what redemption is. The price on our heads was blood. And that blood had to be royal blood. It had to be the blood of King Jesus. And that's exactly who came and he spilled his blood on the cross for us so that we might have our payment made for our sin and be saved from it and released from it and made well again. The cross is at the crux of all of civilization. Every single generation, every single person needs to look to the cross because the cross where the blood was spilled, where the blood was poured out for us is where our payment was made. It's only in Jesus that we can find healing. God's plan led to this key moment in all of history. Now notice the text here then immediately goes to not just what we've been saved from, but what we've been saved to. And that is sonship. We've been saved into God's family. We have been declared as sons. Now, you might think, particularly on Mother's Day, I am being very sexist here because I'm saying sonship. Well, I want to say something here. This is really important. If it said sons and daughters in this passage, it wouldn't be as powerful for women. But it's even more powerful because it's a legal term. And that legal term was all about how in that society, in the first century, the reality was this. If you were the first son, you received the inheritance. But that is not true in Jesus. Whoever you are, 
If you put your trust in Jesus, you will receive the inheritance. You will be welcomed into the household as if you were the first son. It's all yours. Men, women, children, even slaves. That was so radical. This was the most radical thing that could be said. So it's not radical for us to say sons and daughters. It's radical for us to say sonship because of the deeper, truer meaning that God's equality, God's justice is so much better than what we can think or imagine. God has welcomed all of us in by his good pleasure and will to sonship. And it's by his lavish grace. God is so gracious. That is God in his sovereignty. If God was sovereign without love, it would lead to tyranny. But if God were love without sovereignty, it would lead to anarchy. But God, God is sovereign love. And that led to this wonderful plan. Formed in eternity past to make the bloody redemption payment required to remove our sin and welcome us into his family. Now, now Paul says, go, enjoy, be a kid in the kingdom of God, enjoying the presence of your daddy in heaven. Go, enjoy the Father's presence by the Holy Spirit. You've been welcomed into his palace. You've got the special pass. You don't need to know someone or be someone who's been recognized for all the hard work. It's already been done for you by Jesus, and you're welcomed into the palace. Secondly, sovereign love gives us purpose. So we saw sovereign love uh, has a plan, but sovereign love also gives us purpose. As I watched each person approach uh, Prince William earlier in the week to receive those honors for all kinds of really impressive feats, I thought to myself, a huge proportion of these people should be Christians. I mean, let's think about it, because... These, these people who have been saved by God, elect, and have put their hope in Christ. Notice how it's both and. So we're both elect and we put our hope in Christ. So God chooses, but we also are active. They always go hand in hand. We have a far greater motivation now. We have a far more uh, greater motivation than anyone else on the planet. It should be that way. Because our motivation is built upon the love of God. Our motivation is built upon glorifying the one who loves so unconditionally and beautifully. So we want to love like he has loved us. In God's sovereign love, nothing is meaningless. Nothing is meaningless. We have received an invitation to join in God's mission to advance his kingdom. Our election to sonship came out of eternity and it leads us into eternity. So we've got both eternities going on now, don't we? So God is our trajectory with God now, now that we have received what God has made for us in eternity past, the trajectory is into eternity future. Eternal both ways. We those of us who know Jesus, who, have pursu- who are pursuing Jesus, who have put their trust in Jesus, and that's for any of us in this room who want to do that as well, by the way, we now 
had this incredible uh, honor of having our whole lives planned out from eternity past to eternity future, and it's all to his glory, and we can trust him for the purpose that he has given us now, no matter what our circumstances. Now, Paul, I said this earlier, Paul was in chains, but he understood that he'd been called from eternity past, and he had an eternity future in the kingdom of God, in the palace of God, in his presence, where his throne room is. And in the in-between, the now, no matter his circumstance, God was working his purposes towards that. He was making him more holy. He was doing things in him that were building his faith and allowing him to get to, 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 to move him towards that place, that future and eternity. So although it's God's work, it's also us. So we should be motivated now to give it our all. So we give it our all, knowing that God has a plan and he's working it out as we go. It's Mother's Day, you may have noticed. I do hope you all remembered. And so let me give you one of my favorite examples. Um, Susanna Wesley was the mom of the great pastor John Wesley and the hymn writer Charles Wesley. She had 19 children. Now, she homeschooled them all. They learned Greek by the age of 10, she taught them. And she worked tirelessly to keep that home. Well, keep that home. And I think that would be enough for most of us just to go insane. But she had this resolve because she used to get up every single morning. She'd pray for an hour. She would put her uh, apron over her head. That was the only space she had to pray. Get creative the way you pray. So she, and the kids just knew that's when you don't talk to mom at that point. Apron over the head, praying for an hour. And she used to regularly pray this, begin a fire in me, God, that will not only burn all of London, but all of the United Kingdom as well. I hope it will burn all over the world. It did. God used John, her son John, to have this immeasurable impact on Europe and America in his lifetime and then beyond around the world, thousands of churches. This building here was a Methodist church and it is because of what God did through John Wesley that it even existed. And that is true of all Methodist churches around the world. Charles Wesley's hymns, we still sing some of them today. So Susanna was faithful with, the, with what she'd been given to work tirelessly to the glory of God, pray that God would use what she was doing, and then trusted in his sovereign plan to work it out. You see how they work together? We give it our all, but God is working it out with his sovereign plan. There are countless examples that I could reference in the Bible. One of those is Isaac's son uh, and Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Now, Isaac wanted to give his inheritance and his birthrights to Esau. But when Isaac was on his deathbed, Jacob got a bit sneaky. And he decided what he would do was he'd dress up as Esau. And his poor dad was blind by this stage, so um, he put on fur and pretended to be the, the hairier, more manly brother, spoke in a deeper voice, 
and convinced his dad to give him the inheritance. Now, that was sinful. He was lying. It was not the right thing to do. But then he, he was given this inheritance. But because his brother was so much bigger and stronger and tougher, he had to run away. The consequences of his sin were, were playing out. The consequences of, his, consequences of his own action was, oh, this is, this is not good for me. I need to run because I'm going to get in trouble here. So I'm running, and then he's out in the wilderness. All sorts of bad things take place in his life that are really difficult for him. But eventually, he gets to marry this girl, Rachel. And then from his line, from Rachel's line, Jesus, the Messiah, was born. You see how it's not that we can spoil God's plan? Because God is sovereign. It's not like when that took place and he messed up that God's in heaven going, oh, that's the 3,456th time that this plan has had to be redrawn. It was, it's always been plan A. And so even when there is suffering and difficulty, and even when we make really bad choices, stupid choices, God is still working out his plan. How good is that? How gracious is that? I make stupid decisions all the time, but I can trust in this. God will work through my bad decisions for good. That is wonderful. I don't understand it. There's mystery to that. But what I do know is that I can trust God. Because if God can use all these people that I see in the Old Testament and in the New that make stupid decisions all the time, then he can use me. God used, God uses murderers. God uses people who have betrayed him. God uses people all the time who make terrible decisions for his good. Just go and read the story about Joseph. Read about his brothers and read what he says to them in the end when they come and visit him again in, in Egypt. So he says that they've done it for evil, but God has done it for good. So what's the Bible saying? The Bible's saying that God actually was in that, working it for good, whilst at the same time, we're making terrible mistakes. God is good. God is gracious. God can do anything that he wants to do, even through our stupid, idiotic mistakes. We've been fooled into thinking that absolute freedom, separate to God's sovereignty, would be a good thing. Really, I don't see that. I used to think that. I no longer think that. I want to be under God's sovereignty because even when I make a foolish mistake, even when I'm in a, a properly foul mood like I was yesterday afternoon, poor Lindsay had to deal with that, God is still at work in my life. God is still being gracious. God is still pouring out his love. God is still helping me to be more holy and to glorify him. Miraculously, amazingly, he is doing that. When we submit to God's sovereign love, he leads us to lives that display his glory. So no matter what we do, no matter how it get, bad it gets, we can trust that God has a purpose. So this Sunday and next, we have an opportunity to trust God with an area of our lives that we might be a bit shy about talking about. But it's often an area of church life or our life generally that um, can have mastery over us and hold us back from living for, him, for his glory. 
I am, of course, talking about money. So as a church, we believe God is calling us to update and rebuild both of our buildings as part of the mission that we're wrapped up in with God. So Zechariah this morning, being, uh, we're giving thanks for Zechariah. My hope for somebody like Zechariah is that this church would be making a much greater impact in 50 years' time than it is today. In fact, I pray that that's true next year and in 10 years and in 20 years and in 30 years. I want Zechariah and others to be able to grow up in gospel-centered ministry where they hear that God is, is working good for them in their lives if they put their trust in him, even through the hardest of things. And actually, buildings will help us to do that. Hudson Taylor heard God speak to him about going to inland China, and so he gave up his possessions, and he gave up his money, and he went despite everyone telling him it would be impossible. They said, you'll catch a disease, you'll, you'll not be able to survive the mountain passes, you won't get enough financial support. But sovereign love gives us purpose and it has a plan. So maybe you doubt that God can provide three million pounds to rebuild our church buildings, but God is able. I thought that the royal household at Buckingham Palace was really impressive, but actually when we think about who God is on his throne and that he is ruling and reigning over all things, that he has created all things, that he's sustaining all things, that he is totally and utterly self-sufficient and needs nothing from no one, I think God could provide us that money. After 51 years in China, Hudson Taylor had birthed a movement that was directly responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries to that country. They began 125 schools, and in his lifetime, 18,000 people came to faith. But his real legacy today, I think, is what God did through his faith and his sovereign plan to bring so many people to faith in China, even through all the bad and difficult times for them, even during communism and all sorts of other challenges. By 2030, China will have more Christians than any other nation on the planet. God can do incredible things, and so often we question him. We think, oh, can you do this? Sounds like Annabelle's questioning him now. I'm in pain. <laughs> but it's, it's true. Life is tough. That's a great example. We feel like crying out like that because... Often we think that life is so difficult and so hard and unbearable. But the truth is God is working through us in every single situation. And the truth is that God can do it even where we can't see it a possible way of doing it. Hudson Taylor said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. He is too wise a God to frustrate his purposes for lack of funds. Sovereign love gives us purpose. And a part of that purpose is for us to give over our lives to his glory, including our finances. So I'm going to lay that challenge out before you today. Take it, pray, consider what God is asking you to do. In all we do, let's respond to his sovereign love like Susanna Wesley, 
and Hudson Taylor by giving all of our time, our effort, our finances to the glory of God. Every opportunity. Okay, last thing. Sovereign love is permanent. So sovereign love has a plan. Sovereign love has a purpose or gives us a purpose. And sovereign love is permanent. When someone has received an honor from the queen, it's theirs until they die, unless they do something to mess it up. Because the reality is, if we are achieving that honor by what we do, then if we do something that is contrary to that honor, it will be stripped for us and that from us. And that is exactly what's happened on a number of occasions. Jean Elsie was appointed head teacher of Wally, I have no idea how to pronounce that, Wally Range High School in Manchester. Wally, cheers, boy from Salford over there. A failing school in Manchester. In 1994, it had the biggest truancy rate in all of England. And with the help of her, her staff, she totally turned around the school. Awesome, right? Just a couple of years later, she's awarded, um, uh, she's awarded a damehood, so she becomes a dame. Um, so that's like the knighthood for, for women. And so she manages to cut truancy in half. She manages to get the GCSE results to uh, double in their effectiveness. So they had uh, only, ha- I think they had something like 30% of their students who would come out of GCSEs, but previously it had been 15%. It shows you how low th- they started, but she'd done a great job. But in 2011, her damehood was revoked because they found out that she'd uh, promoted her twin sister from administrative assistant to uh, assistant head. And there was another couple of different uh, appointments that they had to question. So she had this, uh, uh, she had this uh, time where she was uh, suspended and they had to work through everything. And they worked out, actually, she'd done all these terrible things. However, God is not like that. Even... If we were to mess up like that, God would not take away from us our inheritance. Because God's sovereign love is not based on our achievements, but is a free gift of grace, it is permanent. We can never lose our status in God. Never. Paul says we are sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Now, that word sealed... It's as if we have been branded by God, like a, like a big tattoo, a permanent tattoo. And we can't go to the tattoo fixers. It is done. It is finished. It is on us. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit given to us as this guarantee that we belong to God and we will always belong to God no matter what we do. So there might be people in this room who feel like they have messed up really badly who feel like they've messed up so badly that God doesn't want to listen to them anymore. They feel like God just wants to judge them. I want you to know today that that's just not true. God's forgiveness reaches out to you again and again and again and again. That redemption, that blood that was paid, it was effective, not just for sins past, but for sins present and future as well. God wants you to run into his presence, into his kingdom, into his courts, into his palace, if you like, where his throne is. He wants you to run into the throne room at all times, no matter what you've done. You will never be revoked. 
you will, you will never reach a moment where God says, no, you're not welcome anymore. Paul says in Romans 8, uh, verses 31 to 37, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, no matter your circumstance, no matter what you've done, no matter what somebody else has done to you, no matter how you feel today, God loves you. He will always love you. You cannot ever, ever, ever take that away. Never. God's love will go on and on and on and on. No matter what. Nothing can separate us from God's sovereign love. Sovereign love has a plan Sovereign love gives purpose. Sovereign love is permanent. Let the glory of these truths be written on our hearts and shape us so deeply that we give our all for God's glory and trust in his unfailing purposes in every moment for our lives. Let me pray.